You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, I am joined by Jennifer Pope Baker. She is the president of the Women's Fund of Central Indiana. Their website is womenfunds.org. First, thank you so much for joining me. And secondly, please tell me about the Women's Fund. What do you do? Well, hi, Chris. Thank you for welcoming me to now hear this. I'm pleased to join your great history of speakers this past year since you started. Uh, Women's Fund of Central Indiana mobilizes people, ideas, and investments so every woman and girl in our community has an equitable opportunity to reach her full potential, no matter her place, race, or identity. For nearly 25 years, 25 years in May, we have been doing that by exercising the power of our endowment. So we have about a $15 million endowment or a special interest fund of the Central Indiana Community Foundation, which people know as CICF. And we use the unrestricted assets of our endowment to support women and girls, particularly those who are most underappreciated. I think that sometimes people would say marginalized or living in poverty or other terms like that. And we prefer to say underappreciated because people would not be in all of those other categories if they were appreciated for who they are and what they have to contribute to our community. I think when people think of nonprofits, they often think about, you know, on the ground help, like, you know, active programs. They may think of like a a, a homeless shelter or a food bank. Um, But people tend to not necessarily think about folks who fund a lot of that work like CICF I think that's a really important charity here in Indianapolis the Lilly Endowment and the Women's Fund so can you talk about your work like you don't necessarily do programs you mentioned off air so how do you how do you facilitate helping with caregiving domestic violence programs girls programming economic empowerment what what do you do uh, to really make an impact on the community how does it work Well, we serve as the expert resource for women and girls. So we spend all of our time and energy in the grant making space of understanding what is happening in and with the organizations that serve women and girls. We want to know not only are they providing quality programming, but what do their operations look like? What do their financial Um, what's their financial situation look like? Who are the people who are leading the organization, both the staff and volunteers? We want to make sure that organizations that are providing programming for women and girls are led by women. So we look at their boards to see what's the composition of the board. If the board is not comprised of at least 50% women, that's a bright line for us. And we say, we aren't going to fund until you're in that space. But if you would like us to help you identify women who have alignment with your mission and who could bring a good voice to your decision-making table will help with that. So while we're not creating programming, we're using our community leadership and our influence to make sure that 
the organizations supporting women and girls are strong. And then we provide grants to those organizations to fuel their programs, to make sure that they have the funding necessary to meet the changing needs of women and girls in our community. In 2020, for instance, we did a pivot and put all of our money into the impact that COVID-19 was having on women and girls. We know that COVID-19 and the pandemic and quarantining and people having to work from home or losing their jobs disproportionately hit black women and brown women in a different way. And we know that people who are already living on the edge who already were hanging on by a string, it was so much worse for them, so much worse for the organizations that support them. And so that's where we channeled all of our energy this year with our funding. Can you talk about why it hit those communities harder? How did it impact them in a, in a way that it may not have impacted others? Well, for instance, if you are a woman who is a single mother and perhaps you have one or two um, minimum wage jobs and you have a couple of children and perhaps you're a housekeeper at one of our hotels downtown. Well, we lost all of our sporting events and all of our conventions when the pandemic hit and people had to start quarantining. So there wasn't a need for housekeepers to come to work at the hotels every day. There wasn't a need for people to be working as a server in a restaurant. And so then those women were losing their income. Or say that that same single mother was working as a housekeeper in one of our healthcare facilities. Well, now her time that she needed to spend perhaps doubled. Her shifts were even more so, but then what did she do with her children during the day or the night while she was working? Because those opportunities for them to have service in person were more difficult. Um, it became more difficult for women and girls because women are disproportionately impacted through intimate violence. And we know that that escalates when people are stressed. And this could not possibly be a more stressful time with economics, with job loss, with having to stay at home, with having to teach your children from home. And so women who were already vulnerable because of that space became even more vulnerable. Thank you for listening to Now Hear This. My name is Chris Spangle. Please subscribe to our podcast in your podcast app. Search for Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. I'm speaking to Jennifer Pope Baker, who's the president of the Women's Fund of Central Indiana. Their website is womensfund.org. So in solving those problems, can you talk about a few organizations that you've helped, that you funded, and, and what is their work like? What are they seeing? What, what are they doing on the ground here in Indianapolis to help those families? One of the grants that we made in April, so we did a very fast pivot and put money right out the door, signed checks on April 1st mm. into organizations. And one that I was most excited about was a $10,000 grant that we gave, gave to the Indiana Diaper Bank. And that mm. would allow them to purchase an entire semi load of diapers and wipes to then they distributed to organizations supporting women who needed diapers and wipes. There are so many people who cannot afford to buy diapers for their kids that they reuse them. Mm. And as a mother who's had two kids who were in a lot of diapers back in their day, I can't imagine having to reuse a diaper or not even having wipes accessible. And if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, when people were hoarding toilet paper, 
Well, the people who also needed to buy diapers, they were hoarding those as well. So to see that $10,000 could fill up a semi full of diapers and wipes, bring it to Indianapolis, and then have the diaper bank push that out um, where women or uh, fathers as well could pick them up for their children um, at the food pantry, perhaps, or at a community center was really life-changing. It's something that we wouldn't think about. You know, we provided funding to Seeds of Hope and Dove Recovery House. Both, those are both organizations serving women who are in recovery. And we know that through the pandemic, people who have issues with addictions, those issues tended to escalate during this time through the isolation of the pandemic. We provided um, funding to um, dress for success as they still continue to support women as they were looking for jobs and to have that opportunity to have supportive um, systems. And we provided funding to um, most recently, just this week, to the Martin Luther King Multi-Service Center so they could have additional hours for their teen coordinator who works with eighth grade through 12th grade girls. And they don't have people coming to the center as much anymore. So this team coordinator is actually going to go out into the neighborhoods where the girls live to reach them where they are to see what kind of support that they might need right now. We have um, looked at the Girls Inc. in Indianapolis and in Johnson County and Shelby County in supported virtual programming that they are doing to stay connected with the girls that they serve. We provided funding to Prevail in Hamilton County, which is another organization supporting women who are victims of intimate violence. So when they moved everybody to working home, they needed to be able to pay for some of the, their workers didn't have Wi-Fi or didn't have appropriate um, technology set up in their own home. They needed to uh, strengthen the technology within the organization to be able to push out to the women working from home so they could support their clients. So it was really a wide variety of thing, putting food on the table. We, a lot of the organizations used funding from us for food, um, used funding for us to pay for hotel rooms when their shelters became full. Um, we uh, supported through the Julian Center. Um, they have really nice day rooms and places where the families um, can spend time together, but they had to move into staying in their own rooms the whole time. The rooms are really small and very sparse. So funding from us helped purchase smart TVs, arts and crafts, books to make being in a really small space all day, every day, really tolerable for the people who are living there. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a, a mother in the Julian Center with two little kids and you're in a postage stamp room, I mean, that kids would have been bouncing off the walls, but imagine that situation. So that's great. Um, when you look at I wish I'd done this show for maybe a year before COVID hit, but it, my impression in doing this is that this has in some ways permanently changed the nonprofit space, not just here, but everywhere. Uh, how, how has this refocused your priorities or made you see things differently in your work or in the work of the organizations you work with that you didn't fully appreciate before COVID hit? I think that one of the things that has permanently altered our 
country and certainly the nonprofit community is when Mr. Floyd was murdered in the end of May. And it altered our country in all the ways that are popping to mind for you. But in the nonprofit world, it made a lot of nonprofit leaders step back and think about, are we serving our clients in a way that's culturally appropriate? Are we recognizing the trauma that has been visited upon our Black community really for 400 years? But when Mr. Floyd was murdered, how were our Black colleagues feeling that day, the next day, and the days ahead? And how does that impact them every single time? And what I'm hearing from executive directors is, wow, we just realized that we need to do better in this space. We need to be more thoughtful. We need to be more culturally competent. We need to engage in learning more about um, inherent bias. We need to learn about how we can be anti-racist. And that's something that's really important to Women's Fund and as a part of CICF, where we're striving to be an anti-racist organization where we lift up black women in spaces where they've been silenced or underappreciated and ignored. And by listening to their voices, I think a lot of times we hear people say, we'll give them a voice. They already have a voice. We just need to listen to their voice. We need to give them recognition and a seat at the table. We need to engage them in our leadership and decision-making. We need to advocate for equity and inclusion. We need to actively help dismantle racist systems. We know this at Women's Fund and CICF, and I'm really encouraged by the fact that I'm hearing this from many of the grantees that we work with. Some who know they need to do something, but they have no idea what to do. Others who are really um, making a, a good inroads in this journey. And I think that that was all really, I'm not sure we would be talking about this in the same way if this had not happened during the middle of a pandemic when people were already stopping to think and to be more graceful and to be more open to hearing about other people and how um, their experiences might be different than my experiences. Yeah. So quickly, how can people support your work and where can they learn more? They can learn more at our website, womensfund.org. And also um, we are Women's Fund Indie on Twitter and we are Women's Fund on Facebook. And the best way to support us is by giving financially, which can be done at womensfund.org. And we use those dollars directly to improve conditions for women and girls to make sure that they have every opportunity, equitable access to be successful, uh, to help the women and girls who live in our community realize their full potential. Jennifer Pope Baker, president of the Women's Fund of Central Indiana. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please email Gabby at nowhearthisindy at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Hey, everybody. I'm Hannah Cox. And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're the host of the Base Politics Network, and we want you to join us for our weekly news roundup, The Base Brief. We believe in teaching people how to think, not what to think. So if you're tired of getting your news from overtly partisan journalists, 
This show is for you. We have no tribe, we pull no punches, and the only team we root for is the free market and individual liberty. On top of that, we're two good friends who both work as libertarian conservative commentators, but we don't always agree. On The Base Brief, we let you in on the conversations we're already having as we work to analyze the impacts of public policies, spill the industry tea, and hash out our hot takes. Plus, you'll get bonus interviews with top liberty lawmakers and influencers like Senator Rand Paul, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee Spike Cohen. Search Based Politics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now. That's B-A-S-E-D Politics. We can't wait to catch up with you. And in the meantime, stay based.